0: Weller, good morning. Boy, it's so great to be here with you. It's been uh, quite a summer. Many of us are coming and going, and uh, I was part of a group that was just uh, away at family camp, and we got back yesterday evening. And let me just say, I I know not all of you were there, uh, but it was so great for me just to be part of the family. You know, my wife and I went, our four-year-old son went, and, you know, a lot of churches in America and, you know, around the world, for some reason, and I I just think it's kind of part of our broken human nature, is that we put our leaders up on a pedestal, uh, especially pastors or CEOs or presidents, and we uh, don't treat them like normal human beings. And it was so great for me not to be put up on a pedestal. Some people tried to put me up on a pedestal, but I fell right off real quick. Uh, But it was just great just to be part of the family. And for my wife to feel like she's just part of the family, that she's Erica, not the senior pastor's wife. And for my son to be Judah, not the pastor's son, because he needs that. He's four years old, and he doesn't listen to his parents these days. And he is running around like crazy, up on stage and all over, getting into all these things, breaking things. And it was so great that people weren't looking at me like, oh, (laughs) aren't you supposed to have it all together? But they looked at me and they said, oh, me too. I know right where you're coming from. So that was was just love for my soul. And it's so great being part of this church family. And we know that you don't have to go to camp to be part of a family but there's something magical that happens when we all put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who he becomes our heavenly father. And we get to experience that, not just at camp, not just when we're away, but every day and everywhere with everyone as we follow Jesus. So as we gather, we're excited that this is an open family. We want more people to be part of the family. So if you are new, if you've never been here before, I hope that we can uh, express to you that we don't have it all together. But we follow the one that does, and he gives us our meaning in life. He's the head of this church, Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we submit to God's word. So why don't we open up our Bibles to Proverbs 22, verse 1. And it's so great to be here. I even look out and I see my brother here. Love you, brother. And as we go to Proverbs 22.1, some of you have mobile devices. We're using the new revised standard version. Some of you are using this pew Bible. It's in the pew in front of you. If you're in the front row, it's that little cubby right behind your leg. And it's on page 527. And in about 60 seconds, I'm going to read from here. But before I do so, let me just tell you where we've been this summer. We're going through the different Proverbs. And King Solomon was described as the wisest person who ever lived, not because of his own wisdom, but because of God's wisdom through Him, And we've been saying each week that this wisdom, God's wisdom, transcends all cultures and transcends all times. That there's nowhere you could live, no point in human history, where God's wisdom isn't the wisest of all. And we actually see this kind of put into practice. In the first century, the Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the early church, is in a very complicated, social, spiritual, philosophical time. And he uses God's wisdom to speak to people who at that point didn't yet know God. And he actually saw around him in culture that there are echoes of God's wisdom all around. We see it in creation. We see it in art and architecture. And he even quotes a poem. This is amazing. It's in Acts 17. He says, even some of your own poets have said, in him we move and breathe and have our being. Now that poem, historians tell us, was a poem that was written to the Greek imaginary God, Zeus. Why would that be in Scripture? I mean, why would this man who believes in God, why would he quote a pagan poem? Because he saw echoes of God's wisdom there. And he says, even some of you have said this, I'm here to tell you that it's not Zeus. It's the God who made heaven and earth, and he's actually come in the flesh, his son, Jesus Christ. He could be known to you. And he uses culture to lead people to Christ. So in the same way as we look at this wisdom, we're also looking at some of the the poets of today. We're looking at film. And every single week we've been showing a film clip to see how this wisdom of God echoes in our culture today. So before we get to that clip, let me read for you Proverbs 22, verse 1, short and sweet. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's word. So there's a choice here, Solomon is reminding us, that you can either choose a good name or you can choose great riches. You can choose favor or you can choose silver and gold. And he's reminding us that there's something that our material possessions can't give us that our name can. That we can't get access to certain things, that we can't have a certain level of peace, that we can't have a certain level of purpose just through what we accumulate. Those are temporary things. And there's something that supersedes what's in our bank account. There's something that supersedes what zip code we live in. And we live in a world that sometimes thinks that we're actually going to find more access, more peace, and greater purpose in life if we can just get more things or get the right things. Part of the, the, the American dream is this pursuit of happiness. And sometimes we wrongly think that it's all about just accumulating the right stuff. But, we are, but we're smart people. We know that it's not just about things. We know that there's a sense that those things don't give us access. They don't give us peace. They don't give us a sense of purpose all the time. And yet, for some reason, because we're broken human beings, we keep turning back to those things. And there's this great wisdom that transcends all culture and all of time. God is speaking through Solomon to us today and says that more than anything you could ever accumulate, there's something else that you've got to choose. And it's a good name. Now, the problem is, is that we, we kind of misunderstand the word name today. And we often, we try to make a name for ourselves, and some of us, we make a name for ourselves through accumulating things, or doing things, or, or maybe getting a good reputation. And so right from the get-go, it's kind of hard for us to understand where Solomon is coming from 3,000 years ago, God's wisdom, if we just look at it from a modern North American Los Angeles perspective. But there's this great truth that your reputation matters. That your reputation, your name, gives you access to things. You experience this all the time. You go to a a restaurant. If your name is on the reservation, you get in. If your name's not on the reservation, if there's no, 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 and if you don't have a name that you can kind of throw out, like drop a name, like, oh yeah, Wolfgang and I, we went back to high school together, you know. If You see, sometimes if your name isn't on the list but you have access to a name, you can get in. But if you don't have it, there's no access. If, if your grades associated with your name are good enough to get into the school you want to get into, you get access to it. Or if you don't have grades associated with your name that are good enough, if you know, if you know the name of, oh yeah, my. My father's golfing buddies, the president of the school. Somehow, sometimes we have connections through names. You know, there's some country clubs here in Los Angeles that no matter how much money you have, unless the name of a member of that country club recommends you, you'll never get in. I remember back when I was in high school, freshman in high school, I was uh, playing on this under-19 team for soccer, and I was 15 years old. And we were a good team. We traveled all through California. We traveled all throughout the United States. We even traveled all throughout Europe. And there was this one trip my freshman year. And I'm like the young guy, this scrawny little goalkeeper, playing with these 19-year-olds from all over the world in this huge tournament. There was five games that we played. And the first four games of this tournament over two weeks, I mean, I was on fire. Four shutouts in a row. And I experienced through all of this that my kind of reputation, my name was kind of giving me access to things. Right from the get-go, people were coming up to me and they were like, oh, are you Andres? Because they, they don't say Drew in other parts of the world, but Andres they get. And they're like, oh, Andres, the goalkeeper from California. And I don't know what accent that was, forgive me. <laughs> but I think I was in Belgium or Holland or Germany. It was all a blur. And, and so I'm there, and, and game after game, I, would rec- I, was, I, would kind of, I was building a name for myself there. And I remember going to meals at the end of the day. And they gave us kind of allowance for food, and so it was just enough just to get kind of like the cheapest thing on the menu. But I remember after the first, maybe after the second game, for the first couple of shutouts, that the coach, my coach, kind of invited, he, I remember, he went like this. And I walked over and I sat down to Afshin Gottby's table, you know, seat there. And there was other coaches, people I'd never seen before, and there was this big group, and they began to talk to me. And they said, order whatever you want on the menu. I'll take the steak. <laughs> and they begin to talk to me about playing in college and playing pro, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, like this is amazing. The third game shut out, fourth game shut out. And I'm getting access to these coaches and these trainers, and they're starting to say things to me, and I'm, I'm starting to feel good about myself. Like this is amazing, I'm a freshman. I'm so young, and yet I have access to all of this, and see, I was building a name for myself through my, through my plane, but then the problem is this, that fifth game, oh, I wish I could forget about that fifth game, I wish I didn't have to share about my fifth game, where they scored four goals on me in the first half, Oh yeah, and they pulled me out, they pulled me immediately out. And we finished the game, I can't remember what the final score was, but I remember that night. Uh, you know, because I had kind of, you know, been eating these meals with these coaches. I remember kind of walking up and, and going to sit down because I had been doing it all week. They'd been doing this all week. I'd been sitting down all week. But I remember distinctly, and I'll never forget it, and it was so embarrassing when the coach didn't even look me in the eye and he went like this. And I was so confused. I just stood there, and I thought I was going to have access to this table, and he just sat there. He, he didn't even look at me. And he was just like this. My name that I had built in those couple weeks came crashing to the ground, I no longer had access. I had to go back, (laughs) sit with my teammates, and I watched somebody else get invited to the table. You see, we live in a world where we want access and we want peace. And we want to have meaning and purpose in our life. The problem is, is that we, in this modern world, go about getting a good name, a good reputation, favor the wrong way. We try to gain it. We try to earn it. We try to build it. And so some of us, we try to make a name for ourselves through our work. And that's kind of a noble thing, but at the core of who we are, our identity can't be held with and can't be supported by just what we do for a living. And why is it whenever we meet people for the first time, they're like, who are you? What do you do? And we start with that. You know, because our identity is so tied up in what we do. I'm a pastor. I'm a doctor. uh, I'm a a lawyer. I'm a student. or, Or maybe it's the relationships that we're in. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a spouse. Or maybe it's what we own or where we live. You see, it's so easy to get wrapped up in building a name for ourselves in all these different things. And the scary thing is that when we actually become part of a church, we don't really listen, we don't really submit, we don't really understand this concept of a good name. And what we do is we try to make a name for ourselves by doing things for God. And this is so subtle, and I want you to absolutely hear me so clearly that some of you have showed up today because you want to make a name for yourselves, because you're looking for access, you're looking for peace, you're looking for purpose, and the message here is not just do all these things for God so that you'll have a great reputation at church, that you'll have a great reputation in your community or with your family. Because you have to understand how names were given in the biblical time. Because right now, yes, our parents give us names, but really in in America and in the West, we we try to make a name for ourselves. You know, many of you, you don't know my name, it's actually David. You know me as Drew, but I'm actually David Andrew Sams. And some of you feel betrayed just at that moment, the two and a half years have gone by. Some of you are like, I don't care what your name is, uh, because there's something about us today that that names don't have a significance. They don't have the weight. They don't have the, the, the meaning that they did. Actually, in many cultures today, but especially in biblical times, you see, what you need to know about names is this, two things that names were never earned, that names were never created, that you couldn't make a name for yourself because a name was always given to you. And the one that would give you your name was the one that had authority over your life. That is absolutely clear from beginning to end in all of Scripture that names are given. But even more than that the names themselves had meaning, they had purpose. Hidden within the name was the reason for your existence. You see, when Solomon is saying here in verse one that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, he's speaking to something that many of us aren't even familiar with today in 2016. He is saying that a good name isn't a name that you earn, Isn't just a title, but it's a name that's given to you, and it's a name that tells you why you exist. You know, it's very fascinating as you look throughout Scripture. There's this weird stuff, you know, even in the Old Testament where if one king defeats another king, the winning side, the winning king gets to rename the other king. Because it communicates authority. It communicates power. And we see throughout all of Scripture the very significance of names. Open those Bibles up. Turn to John 1, verse 12. We live in a world, we're told that we have to make a name for ourselves. We can confuse that by thinking that maybe the way we make a name for ourselves is by doing good things for God. But look at what it says in John 1, verse 12. I love this. Verse 12, it says this. This is on page 862 in your pew Bibles. John writes… But to all who received Him, the Him is Jesus, but to all, not just some, not just half, not just most, but to all who received Him, Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God." There's something very powerful that you have to understand. The very core of who we are, the very core of our identity, once we figure that out, it changes everything. It gives you a strength, it gives you a confidence, it gives you a peace, it gives you joy. You see, who you are changes everything. And John is saying here that when you trust in Jesus, when you receive Him, when you believe in Him, when you believe in His name. We'll get to there in a moment. When you believe in his name, you are now part of God's family. You are adopted into God's family. You have to know this, that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are given a new name. Right from the get-go. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to show up to church a certain amount of times. You don't have to memorize scripture to earn it. You don't have to make a name for yourself. You see, just through empty faith, through trusting Jesus in that instant, you are given a name. It's your new name last name. My last name is Sam's. I didn't choose that name. My parents didn't choose that name. It is our family name. And because I was born into that family, I was given that last name. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. You now have the last name as part of God's family. You are now a son or a daughter of God. You now have brothers and sisters in Christ. There is now a family relationship that is more powerful, that is more eternal than your biological relationships. And you have to know that no matter what you did last night, no matter what mistakes you will make today, that if you've already said yes to Jesus, that last name will never change. You'll never be kicked out of the family. That now, because you have the name as being part of God's family, you now have access So the most powerful being in the cosmos, God himself. You see, we want access. We want access to the right schools, the right jobs, the right relationships. The problem is is that there's going to be a moment in your life where those, those doors will shut. You won't get the promotion. You won't get the part. You will lose the job. You won't get into that school. The person that you love will leave you. You will be barred access from some of these things in life. But when you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is a deeper access that you have to the King of kings and Lord of lords, God's kingdom that can never be shaken. And what that does is it gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding because even if you don't get the job, even if your boss says, I'm sorry, your time has come to an end, even if that person leaves you, even if the doctor says you your health isn't here anymore, it's, it's, it's leaving, I don't know what to say other than you've got maybe a month left to live, you'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding because you have a name that can't be shaken. It's one you didn't earn, but it was given to you through Jesus Christ. Now, what about his name? If you believe in his name, what's that all about? What's so fascinating? It's so easy for us to overlook this. But before Jesus is born, an angel comes to Joseph, to the father of Jesus, and says that you will call him Jesus. Now, this is actually a very big deal. It's easy for us to overlook. But through many parts of the world today, and especially in this biblical time, The father was always the one that would give the name to their child. It was the father's role because the father was responsible for caring for that child with the wife, with the family, but it was the father's right to name the child. And this angel comes speaking for God and says, "'You do not have the right to name my son,' God says." And Joseph submits and allows God not Joseph, to be the Lord, to be the authority over Jesus. And this is absolutely key. You have to understand this, that Jesus knew who he was because he always knew whose he was. He knew that he was Abba, God, Father, his child, And so he has this tremendous security, this tremendous peace, because he goes throughout his life living from that identity. When he's baptized, he comes up out of the water, and there's this voice from heaven that says, Behold, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Before he's done any miracle, before he's done any before he has any followers, before he's done anything, he receives his identity publicly. And what happens? He's led out in the desert. He's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan who, the word Satan, Satan, literally means the accuser of the three recorded temptations. Two of them begin with this, if you are the son of God, he questions his identity. He goes after his identity. But Jesus was so secure in whose he was that he didn't have to do those things to prove it. When was the last time you were so secure in your identity you didn't have to prove it to anyone? You didn't have to prove it to your boss, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your spouse, yourself? You see, if you are making a name for yourself through your accomplishments, through your relationships, through what's in your bank account, those things will let you down. You will never be secure. And John reminds us that you actually receive a name that is never ending. It is absolutely fail safe that you have this name that is above anything that the world can give you. But not only do we know that a name is given, but there is meaning in the name. When God names his son, Jesus, or actually in the original language, Yeshua, it literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the personal name that God revealed from himself to Moses in the burning bush Yahweh this God this 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 amazing powerful redeeming God saves did you know that the very name of Jesus reminds him and reminds us why Jesus exists it wasn't for his glory it wasn't so Jesus would make a name for himself though Jesus is one of the most famous names in the world scripture says that he came to do the will of the Father that he was willing to sacrifice his own reputation. Have you thought about that? Jesus wasn't very popular. He wasn't very light. People wanted to kill him. People were, were, were making fun of him. People were questioning his motives. But he was so secure in not only the fact that God gave him his name, but what his name meant, what his life meant, what his purpose was that no matter what happened in life, it never skewed him off of his purpose. And what's so beautiful about that truth is it reminds us that when we follow Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in him, in that instant, right from the get-go, we are given a name. It's part of God's family. But also, our name has meaning. It gives us purpose. It gives us reason why we, why we exist. Did you know that in the first century, in Antioch, in this little town, there was a group of people that were making fun of the first century followers of Jesus. There was something different. They loved each other. They cared for those on the margins. They forgave each other. There was something different. There was a joy. There was a peace. There was something different. And so they actually began to make fun of this group of people, and they gave them a name that wasn't supposed to be good. It wasn't supposed to be popular. It was like totally to make fun of them, and it was the term Christian. And you might think, what? What's what, what so wrong with that? Well, the term Christian literally means little Christ. It's kind of like Mini-Me, you know, from Austin Powers, this person who imitates someone else. They, they meant it to make fun of the first century followers of Jesus, that their life was so all about Jesus that they weren't known as Sarah and, and Matthew and... And Philip, but they were known as Christians, those Christians. Everything they do is all about Jesus. And the name stuck, because how flattering, how amazing, that the name of Jesus would be associated with us. The problem is is over the last 2,000 years, we have so abused that name. We have so broken that name that now the term "Christian," sometimes for good reason, is a very negative name. And so often in this world, we go about our lives and we don't like to say that we're Christian. We don't like to bear our spiritual name to others. We don't like to show that we're followers of Jesus Christ. Because why? Because this is what I do. As a pastor of a large church in L.A., sometimes I don't lead with the fact that I'm a Christian. Why? Because sometimes I want to build my name. I want people to like me. I I don't want my neighbors to think that I'm like those Christians. And so I say, oh, I'm I'm the head of staff at a large organization. We got a preschool. (laughs) You know what I'm doing in that moment? I'm not choosing a good name over great riches. In that moment, I'm choosing great riches over a good name. And you might say, well, how are you doing that? Because I'm trying to build my name over other people's opinion of me, which is a very rich thing. And I'm not letting the name of Jesus be high and lifted up more than anything else in my life. You see, when Jesus lived his life, it was all about his father. It wasn't about himself. And I look around at some people in this church, and I see some of you, I see you losing jobs, not getting parts, getting made fun of on the set, having people at school make fun of you because you are willing to lift up the name of Jesus higher than anything else, that you would rather be associated with the name of Jesus, not in a weird way, not in a a judgmental way, but through absolute obedience to Him. And there's something so beautiful about that. But the problem is that maybe your name gets tainted. You see, this good name that is so wise that we have to choose is the name Jesus, the name that is given to us. In Revelation 3, it says that one day we will be in the presence of God in the new heavens and new earth, and His name will be upon us. What a thought. What an image. In Genesis 11, there was a group of people that wanted to make a name for themselves, so they built a tower. We don't know any of their names. I mean, they wanted to make a name for themselves, so they did something. But we don't know their names. But there's other people who want to lift up the name of Jesus higher than anyone else. And we know their names. But there's some people that lift up the name of Jesus and we don't know their names. I believe that one day in the new heavens and new earth, when we're in God's presence, that we're going to get to know the names of amazing people that have been so obedient to following Christ, that never made the headlines, that never were pastors of a church, that that, that never wrote a book, that never wrote songs, that were not known for their faithfulness to God, but no one knew them, but God saw them and said, ah, my name was upon you. And I absolutely believe that one day we're going to hear story after story of people born in these little villages and little towns and in these cities around the world that didn't make it on the New York Times bestseller list, that didn't make the list for the most influential Christians in the world. But they're not doing it for their name. They're doing it for his. Some of you, after a while, you might begin to look a little like the man in this clip who, frankly is a wreck. I mean, he's a mess. There was a man who had it all. He was wise, he was shrewd, he was a great businessman, he had great riches. And yet he began to see things in his country, in Germany, in the midst of World War II, that he saw as atrocities. And he began to sell his possessions. He began to sell his things. He began to get rid of his good riches, not to make a name for himself. But because he saw hurting, he saw brokenness, he saw atrocities all around them. And in the end, 1,300 Jewish men, women, and children, their lives were saved because of this one man. And we know his name, Oscar Schindler. And a lot of people ask him, Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? And a lot of people are confused, Why did you do this? And the closest reason we ever got, there was one historian, one biographer who actually interviewed him and says, I looked around and I knew that I could, I knew that I had to, but it was my conscience that said I must. I don't know where Schindler is in terms of his relationship with God. But I know that God does amazing things through people. And I believe that God put on Schindler's heart a heart for the things that God loves. That his heart began to break for the things that God's heart broke for. Then in the midst of Nazi Germany, he not only sold his things, but he lost his reputation among his peers. People were criticizing him. They were making fun of him. They were writing him off. They were doing this from his… access to their tables. But now we know his name. And there's this great moment at the end of Steven Spielberg's film that, to me, just gets to the heart of his love for the things that God loves the most. Take a look at this. Man, that scene, it slays me. Because that's not me, sadly. I look at Schindler there and he's willing to give up his riches, willing to give up his name, his reputation, his earthly reputation because he's caught up in something so much bigger than himself. And man, I still go throughout my life and I'm, I get hung up on my reputation. And I get up in front of others and I tell them, man, look to Jesus. And I've got a lot of fingers pointing back to me as I say that. Because we live in a world that's just as broken. There's just as much brutality. There's just as much injustice as there was in Nazi Germany. And God wants to use you. He wants to use His church to be the hands and feet of the famous one, Jesus Christ, to bring hope, to bring reconciliation, to bring forgiveness, to bring justice. And it's not going to happen through you or me trying to make a name for ourselves. It's going to be through lifting up the name of Jesus high and it up. It's going to be through seeing that we have a name that is given to us, that we have a purpose that to be a Christian is to be a little Christ who says, I've come to do the will of my Father. I am overwhelmed by the brokenness in this world. I'm overwhelmed by the brokenness in this congregation. I'm overwhelmed by the brokenness in my life. And yet we have a God who is at a table that doesn't go like this, but goes like this. Do you know that? We have a God that goes like this, come, just come. Not because of what we've done, not because of our good deeds, not because of us showing up to church, not because of what we've memorized in Scripture. The King of Kings says, come, 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 because Jesus gave it all. In a moment, we're going to go to the table, and it's a reminder that we can come to this table to be reminded that we have access to the Heavenly Father, that we have true peace, that we have true purpose, that we can come not because of our good deeds, but because of what He has already accomplished on the cross. May we receive that. May we walk in that identity today and forevermore. May we be a church known as a church that simply follows Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Not to get a name, not to make a name for ourselves, but to make famous his name. Let's pray. God, in this moment as we continue in this time together, as there are people joining us online, as we are about to scatter into our lives, God, I pray that we would be reminded of what we are about to celebrate right now. May that truth carry with us this week.